Welcome to the Identity Talk for Educators Live podcast, the show for the unsung heroes of education. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfamensa, and on this podcast, I highlight the unspoken and unsung heroes who are changing the education game as we know it. Every day, I come across the work of so many incredible educators who simply don't get the recognition they deserve. So on this podcast, we will provide you, the audience, with an opportunity to learn the personal stories of these incredible educators and the specific elements that shape who they are in and out of the classroom. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of Idane Talk for Educators Live, the show for the unsung heroes of education. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfamensa. If this is your first time tuning in or viewing this podcast, I welcome you and I hope that you return for future episodes and new content. And if you are a returning viewer or listener of the podcast, I welcome you back and I hope that today's episode is one that you find informative enlightening, and of course, insightful. But before we get into the main event, I ask for those who are on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, show your boy some love. And if you have in your heart to donate to this platform that continues to grow, uh, we accept Cash App and Venmo. Uh, For the Cash App, we have dollar sign ID talk for Ed. If you use Venmo, you can send your donation to at Kwame SM, K-W-A-M-E-S-M. All right. And of course, for those who are listening through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other streaming platforms, make sure you subscribe to the podcast from there as well. All right. Thank you kindly. And, you know, we are approaching the end of another year and we've been blessed to have a lot of incredible bright minds uh, come through here to share their expertise, share their stories, share their knowledge with all of us. And today we're going to continue that streak uh, with another insightful and just incredible guest. Uh, She is someone who I've developed a pretty strong bond with uh, through social media. And I think that's the case now, (laughs) given COVID-19 and everything going on. It's like your closest friends are now miles away from you and you don't even realize it. Uh, But she is someone who is an equity champion. She is a mentor. Uh, She is an advocate. She is somebody who is all about radical self-love, all about liberation, all about all the things that we preach about on this podcast. And I'm just excited to finally have her on the podcast. Um, She is someone who I've been wanting to have on for a minute, and I'm just glad that the timing was right to finally have this conversation happen tonight. Uh, So uh, without uh, further ado, I want to bring on a good friend of the podcast, uh, Dr. Melanie Dukes, to share her story today and 
she's going to talk to us about her book and everything else going on in life. So let's do it. Let's bring her on. Hey, hey. Hey there. Oh, I loved your introduction. It was so sweet. Thank you, Kwame. I feel the same way. I feel the same way. And it's an honor to actually be here with you because when you reached out, I was like, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to be on your show. So this was awesome that you even reached out and thought of me. I'm, I am honored. I'm honored. Yes. And I, I just appreciate all the support you've given just towards this podcast, just towards anything related to identity talk. Um, the <laughs> gratitude is, there's really enough words to express my gratitude for just how you continue to uplift and amplify the work that that um, we do here on identity talk. Um, it definitely isn't going unnoticed. Oh. So I just want to make sure I, I, I named that. Well, that's my my love. My passion is to uplift our people and, and our people, me people also who are in this work of liberating um, and freedom and liberation of self and others. So you're doing the work. I'm just there to, you know, give your flowers while you're here. So it's wonderful. All right. And you're doing the work as well. You know, this is not a night where you're going to be humble about that. Although we appreciate humility on this platform. Uh, this is a platform where we give flowers to those who are doing the work and you've been doing the work for a very, very long time, which is why you are here. And we want to make sure that we highlight your story and, and everything that's going on. But before we even get into all that, I know that you just came back home from vacation Yes. Um, you were in Belize for some time and yes. you had the grandest time I did. from all the videos and everything. So I I yeah, did. talk to us about just spending time with in Belize uh, and connecting with family out there. Sure, sure. Yeah. It's you know, this whole and we'll get in a little bit about it, but I was very intentional. Um, my father's 81, my mom is 71, and my kids had never been to Belize. And um, it was so important. And as you know, my kids are 19. I have a 16 year old. I have a stepson who's eight years old. And so I wanted them all to experience what I experienced, a little bit, a little bit of what I experienced going and visiting. And so going to Belize was very important. Um, and connecting and making those connections was very important for, for me uh, to reconnect and for them to see where their Baba, they call him Baba, um, grew up. So visiting and touring um, all his childhood spots and actually him taking to the locations of the childhood stories he would tell of all mischievous things that he would do growing up um, and the homes and just them seeing how his their father, their grandfather grew up. Um, and it, it was in poverty. Um, and so for them to just really appreciate what they have, um, you know, my father always speaks of times of not necessarily having enough to eat. He grew up at, um, being raised by his mother and his grandmother and his aunt. So it was a house full of women and his sister and his, his brother. But just having that sense of love and passion for his culture. And I wanted my kids to see that. Um, and it was very important for me. Very important. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think your story and mine has parallels because I actually lived in Ghana so both of my parents oh, are from yeah. Ghana and I actually lived there for three years during my teenage years. Oh, and it was my first time living there or being there since I was 
really young and couldn't really remember what Ghana was like. Yeah, yeah. And what's crazy is it was during those three years where I really started to learn about my culture. I really started mm-hmm. to take pride in who I was. Mm-hmm. And initially, you know, when you're 12 years old, you're thinking about leaving friends behind, friends oh, yeah. you grew up with in your oh, own yeah. neighborhood. And you're just you're just really thinking about video games and, and all these other things that right. we're so fortunate to have here in yes. America. And then you go to Ghana where life is very different. Electricity isn't on every day. Completely. Um, Electricity is being generated by a water dam. Right. Um, and if the dam's right. not flowing, the electricity isn't going. Right. Facts. <laughs> Facts. So <laughs> that is so true. So, like, wh- what's so interesting? So, I grew up 15 years outside of the United States. So, my first 15 years, you know, my dad worked for the United Nations. So, I lived outside and didn't come back to the States until I was 15, going on 16. And so hearing your story too, um, my life was like that where, you know, water wasn't always there, you know, turning on water, you know, you'd have maybe a a well outside or a tank really, and you'd go get the water. Um, Electricity in Sierra Leone, lived in Sierra Leone for about three and a half years. Um, It was Angola, Sierra Leone and Angola, um, nine years in the continent of Africa, but then in the Caribbean. But that whole water, electricity, you know, having a generator, um, growing up in that space. But then I also recognized my privilege too, because I had access mm-hmm. than anyone else. I mean, I had a generator. I had people were there to help. You know, it was just a part of living, but I recognized the privilege in that too. Um, yeah. Even though we were in a part of the American embassy and I really didn't claim myself as American uh, because being in the UN, it was better to just be with the UN than being from an American embassy because- I tell you, our people, our black and white folks, you know, we, we it was interesting in, in how they weren't really able to adapt all the time to those spaces. Um, so I really mm. appreciated being within the United Nations, that family and that group as well. Yeah. Wow. So, so um, my wife works with the Peace Corps. Yes. But we do have friends in the United Nations. And I could tell you this, like all the things that you're saying are 100 percent true. Um, <laughs> I feel like when you just stay connected with the U.S. Embassy, yeah. you kind of find yourself in this bubble because mm-hmm. a lot of folks within that bubble, they don't want to integrate and assimilate into yes. the culture of the host country. They just want to kind of keep to themselves. and. Yes try to maintain a life that's very similar to the one they left in the States. That's exactly right. Which is ironic because when you are a diplomat, expat, or you're just working in foreign service in some capacity, it really should be about learning about the countries you're in and and trying to immerse yourself into those cultures. Absolutely. But at least in this current experience that I've had, um, most of the Americans in the embassy are very much adamant about maintaining a quality of life that mm-hmm. they had in the States, mm-hmm. um, which we all do to a certain degree. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Like we yeah. all love good internet, fast internet. <laughs> yes. We like to have the electricity on all the time. Yes. Those things, you know, I'm not going yeah. front. They, no, we're not. we're not. We're not. We're not at all. But, but at the same time, you do want to 
immerse yourself in, in the culture. You do want to try to assimilate, at least try to learn a language or make an attempt to learn a language and, and do some different things to to let people know that, hey, like we're humble, we're guests. We're guests here. We're trying right. to learn. Right. You right. know, so that's, so yeah, all those things you're mentioning are, are very true. Yeah, and so that's but, really but let's, sad. let's stay on that though. Yeah, that's okay. Let's yeah. let's do that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really sad though that that was my gosh, I'm 46. So like years ago when I left, right? That that was a long time ago where we have that black and the white, the blacks, black Americans, whatever, not necessarily just putting that divide. But then you're there as well now. And it's still that sense of not recognizing and appreciating um, our roots and where we come from. Uh, and being there, you know, I was never really a part of the, the people because I was Black American. But then coming to America, I was never really a part of the people because I really didn't understand and I wasn't intertwined in the culture. So it was like learning things all the time for the past 15 years. And that's why Georgia in itself is like my home, even though I wasn't born or raised here, I feel like, you know, I, I've come to an adult of my liberation here. But staying in that same idea of a Black Americans going to, to the motherland and feeling like they have to stay in the same, their same zone, it's that liberation, right? That lack of self and love um, and that, what is that, that, that inbreeding of the fact that we have to be of the white element, right? White is right, what all those things that come into play when we're talking about anti-racist work is that we're so ingrained in what is right um, and what how it should be done. Because even with the whole idea of the US embassy, that whole thing of even being in these spaces and what, um, what that does for our culture in itself. So it's just, yeah, people are definitely indoctrinated into what is supposed to be. And even when you look at the UN as well, there's a whole lot of dirt in there, you know, <laughs> nine nations and just the whole thing. Um, so there, we there, there, is. <laughs> there, there is, there is, there is, there is, there is, uh, definitely not enough time to go through all that. Definitely no. not enough time. No, we cannot dive into Yeah. That's a whole nother, <laughs> it's a whole nother and, ball game. And and I certainly can't dive into it because if I say anything that can be um potentially incriminating or yeah no make, you're not you're right you just, I can't I'm no, no in no position even, to do it you know I gotta keep my mouth shut because you know I want my wife to keep a job so. I want her to keep I want her to keep her job <laughs> I want you to have you right right there's the the thing right it's like what do I do what can I not say and say yeah but um so got it just moving keep with that anti racist right just keep it. <laughs> With that anti-racist yeah. work, I so, remember. Uh -huh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. You were going to say? No, with the anti-racist work, I just remember even during the times we were there and having uh, my mother encounter issues with white Americans, like bringing their ideas to a whole nation, right? A whole space of where it's all Black folks, but still bringing that entitlement to that area and feeling like they have that power over which they did because they have the economic you know, power, um, as well as 
people talking to us a little differently and even my father talking to him differently and saying, well, you're different from everyone else. Um, and that's the same thing that they did in America. You know, when my dad came as a Belizean, they divided and conquered um, and tried to separate. However, my father wasn't having it. And I think, I know I definitely get that attitude from my mom and my father, you know, just not having it. Like, you're not about to uh, be unfair and unjust and think it's okay to degrade and and put down my people. So, um yeah, but but anyway, I know you have questions and we'll we'll stay on track because I could keep on going. <laughs> no, this is all good. And and this is what's amazing about what what's happening is that as you're saying these responses, you're actually answering some of the questions that I already have prepared. So we That's we great. in a good we're on a good roll right now. So okay, we're, good. we're good. good. But just staying on your journey, yeah, living abroad. So clearly living abroad did a lot to help shape your identity and your overall worldview as a black yes. woman. Yes. Now, when you finally returned to the States at 15 years old, after all those years abroad, yeah. was it at that moment that you're aware of how racist mm. America you know? is? Like, did it really open your eyes to just the differences between just being a black, young black girl living abroad and then being right. a young black girl living in the States? Yeah. So I have some, you know, some stories, too, on that, because like I said, living there, I was the American girl. Right. Still black and had that influence, like, OK, I'm with my people kind of thing. But there was definitely a difference. But coming back to the States, we would come every year. Um, and when I actually first had my racial awakening and I realized that after my liberation journey and when you're doing your liberation journey, you do digging into yourself because here I am a black woman, educated doctorate, went to Spelman um, and all these pieces. But there was some insecurities that were there. And when I was digging deeper into my racial awakening, uh, I, I remembered a story that was so deep in me was when I was six or seven years old was when I was at Disneyland and I was so excited to just see the princesses and all these things that clearly were not Princess Tiana. It was Cinderella. Um, and I ran up to her and she immediately just put her hand out, held back, like held me back and went and hugged these two white children. And at that age, that was when I really realized that, oh my gosh, there, there is a real difference. Um, that people are still discriminating. Now, my mom had, you know, somewhat told stories, but at that age, you're not really listening to those stories so deeply. But that was when I really figured out like, oh, so there is discrimination because it was a clear physical act of real violence of just pushing a child away. Um, and I still get emotional even speaking about something like that. But since then, and then coming back I recognize that the difference between Black Americans and Black people that I've lived in within the Caribbean and in the continent of Africa, that there was a sense of confidence that people walked in um, that because of seeing Black excellence all the time, you know, th there wasn't anything different of you always see Black lawyers, Black doctors, the prime ministers, you know, 
political officials, all those things were black. So there was a confidence that definitely people walked in that that was like no other. So coming back here, it was different. Um, the motivation, um, it wasn't as much of, of what I saw and what I noticed, um, especially going into the education space of seeing children not having that great motivation to be great um, and to, to just aspire to things. So that was, you know, a, a difference of going from the continent, <laughs> Caribbean spaces and coming back to the States. There was a, a, a gap that I saw that I really wanted to try to to instill in people and understanding these, you know, instill kids and children and also teachers later on that you have, there's a greatness and people could aspire to be whatever they wanted to be. So that, that and, was, mm -hmm. and, and I'm, and I'm thinking, um, just with your journey, you know, being abroad, you had to have seen a lot of black excellence out there. Yeah. You know, you don't, yeah. you don't work for United Nations or right. work in foreign service and not be excellent. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, you know, my my dad coming up from where he came from um, and being in a position of power and authority, you know, and, and having that influence, that in itself, uh, my mother being a teacher for me, she homeschooled, you know, and so just all those pieces and, and I didn't appreciate it back then. And then they tell me stories now, I'm like, really? Those people like, you know, it's just so not fully appreciating what I was in that moment, but just taking it for granted um, and then coming here and understanding that the kids aren't getting that access that they should have of what blackness can is, you know, their roots, their ancestors. So that was a definite difference. So you get exposed to black excellence abroad. You come back to New York at 15, Yeah. yeah. go through your high school years and then eventually you make your way down to ATL. I do. Right? I do. Yes. Yes. Good old Spellman, right? I yeah. That yes. was definitely a change. That was a change. Now, uh with Spell mm -hmm. Yeah, with Spellman um and I've never like I one thing that if I could go back in time and I and I appreciate the experience that I had at Temple University. Oh, wonderful. Love my alma mater. Yes, yes, as you should. But I'm not even going front. I get jealous when I see folks talk about their HBCU experience because it's like, man, like, it's so mad. It sounds so magical. Like, I feel like if I had gone to HBCU, I probably would have gone to either Howard yeah. or Hampton, like yes. one of the HUs. That's just me. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, man. Yeah. And HBCU is like no other. But, you know, I always tell my daughter, she says, you know, well, I I want to go to Spelman, but I I want her to also go and be in a space where she feels comfortable and safe and, you know, and however she feels. And I always say, well, I kind of want you to just be to HBCU first, you know, build up whatever it is you need to have that support, that love. Um that is instilled in you like no other. 
But I always tell her to look, you're black enough. You'll be fine. You know, you'll have the support. You'll be okay wherever you go. I would prefer an HBCU, but she's she's gonna, you know, she wherever God has her, that's where she's going to be. Um, and and that's what I believe in. Um, she she has her her roots are strong, you know, she's grounded. Um, and even though my son is also grounded, Morehouse has been wonderful for him. Um, he's loving and he's enjoying it. Um, and that's where he is. But every, you know, every child is different and they have their own journey, they have their own path that they they need to go on. Um, and, and I'm just excited to see what what life brings them and or what they bring to life. So uh, I'm just excited about HBCUs. Spellman was different, though, because here it is. I'm coming from, you know, a predominantly black space where, of course, it's black excellence. But then you have black American excellence um, and that conflict, that difference where I'm coming in like, we need to be fighting for this and liberation. I just come from Zimbabwe too, like two or three years before where they mm-hmm. got their independence in 1980. So they still had that conflict of, um, of the Rhodesians and yeah. blacks still, you know, understanding that they're, no, you're liberated now. You know, you don't have to follow what these, you know, Rhodesians are saying because they still wanted to keep that, that name. But then coming to Spelman, I really had to find my niche. Like my first year, I, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't, I was like, hmm, Black Americans are different. Like, you know, I, I had to really get used to priorities and some of the, where I felt there was some superficial, you know, behaviors. I was like, oh, okay. But I found my niche of people who, man, I would not trade it for the world. You know, after my second and third and fourth it just is amazing. And it's a bond like no other. Um, but it took some using, you, you know, getting used to of the different culture of anything else. Um, but it was, it's a, uh, yeah, that's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother journey and path that I am extremely grateful for. Yeah. See, you just speechless because there's just so much to say about it, but here's what I want to ask you. Yeah. What was the greatest lesson that Spellman taught you in your time there? Mm, the greatest lesson. So I think looking back and being reflective, I think is it is to walk in your truth as a Black woman, um, is to mm. be yourself as a Black woman and not to take that part away or try to be anything else. The uplifting of being a black woman in America or any other space is what has really driven me. Um, and I think that's been the greatest lesson is to make sure. And, and I really didn't fully, like I said, appreciate it until my older age. Like, oh, yeah, they were because, you know, you're worried about making friends and parties and all these things. I really didn't grasp a lot of the realness. But Spellman really taught me subconsciously that I could walk in myself and not be afraid um, and that I have a tribe behind me um, that could encourage and support me throughout. Um, so that that has definitely been one of my top lessons uh, of being there. And that's why I would love it for my kids, you know, for my daughter. Mm, that's what's up. That's what's up. Yeah. Now, you spend all that time in Spelman. And at some point you decide, okay, I want to get into education. So 
what ultimately got you into the field? What drew you to this wonderful profession that we all love? <laughs> yes, that we so dearly <laughs> love, you know, that, yeah, that interesting relationship, right? So initially yeah. when I went to spy, I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be, you know, a civil rights lawyer. I wanted to be an activist, but um, I, I was guided down a path of education. My actually, my granny Kate, my mom, my dad's mother, um, she was actually robbed of her childhood, um, actually taken away from her home at around two years old and forced to work for another family at very young age. And she actually wanted to be a teacher. Then my mother, a natural teacher, taught my sister and I and, and homeschooled us when we were in Angola. But education just was clearly in my blood. Uh, it was something that I was passionate about. And because of my experiences and because of some of the things I saw when I was living abroad um, that was just in my subconscious, I said, you know, I want to bring that to children. I had this, I don't know if it was the savior kind of mode or it was just like, look, I'm I'm black, you're black. I want to share and, and love on you and give you all the things that I feel like you needed. And so that was how I stepped into education. Um, and of course, the, all the difficulties that come with that because we're not a monolith. Here I am coming into a, a classroom um, thinking, oh, we're automatically gonna connect because I'm black, but that that also was not the case, right? Because I'm coming from a different culture, a different set of expectations or not a set of expectations, but on how to get there. Um, and not fully understanding that there are things that these babies needed more of than me telling them what they can be. They needed like the full support of then and now. Um, and so later on in the years, that's what I, I figured out. Um, and that's how I really got into education too, even deeper into education um, that ran deep for me. Like, what can I do for these babies in a long term? Um, that so that they could really truly see that they are they are the future um, of change and creating change. So over time, because as you know, people move in and out of education, right? It, it just developed and my journey as it moved on and as experiences happened, my 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 teaching shifted. Um, before it was in that set zone, okay, here are the standards, here's what we need to do and get them through. But then of course it, it had to change. Um, I think one of the, the biggest change for me was Trayvon Martin when, when his, he was murdered. Um, and my son was in fourth grade and my daughter was in second grade. And so that was the pivotal moment. Uh, and I know I'm running into, I think that when we talk about anti-racist work, um, that was a pivotal moment of how my, my ideas and, and theory on education really shifted into a more of pushing our babies to be change agents um, so that they can have hope and so that they could be filled with a sense of purpose um, for themselves and for others. So, um, but, you know, I, I could roll into that. I don't know if you have another question um, in regards to that, but that was... That was one of my things in getting into education. Yeah. I mean, I got so many, but since we're on this train of thought, so yeah. clearly you, you're you very outspoken individual. You're, you're not afraid to speak up about issues that you're passionate about. Yeah. I just wonder, and I know this, this was the case for me. Like, I wasn't always the person that you see me as today. 
So I'm wondering for you, when you first entered the education space, were you coming into the space just calling everything out, just <laughs> speaking your mind, walking your truth, or was that an evolution? Was that a journey for you? Yeah. Um, to get yeah. to the place where you are right now, where you were just all about self-love, all about liberation, all these different themes that we're discussing right now. So what was that evolution yeah. for you? Man, that's that's such a good question because it, it, it's such like when, when I think about it, I, I've always been very much in my blackness, walking in that and very strong. However, being vocal and naming it, I don't think I was as intentional in naming those things because I didn't even realize how much liberation that I needed of myself, right? That I needed wow. to have a deeper sense of self-love um, and unlearning that I had to do because in the beginning it was more like, okay, here are the standards. We need to pass these tests because this is what we're supposed to do, you know, in the system, right? Uh, and doing those things in the system of what we're being told. However, I was never shied away of my, my blackness, you know, natural hairstyle. I was rocking even when it wasn't popular. Like I, my dashikis, I was wearing it in college. You know, I, I never shied away from that at all. Um, but when it came to a shift, it was definitely during the incident of Chayvon Martin. Um, my, 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 that was my, my children's first protest that they went to right here in Atlanta. At CAU, actually, at um, Club Woody or, you know, Woodruff Library is what they, what is officially called, where we started off there and we marched through. Um, and from there, unfortunately, you know, I did see a shift even in my, my, my babies, a sense of, you know, anxiety and fear, because this was their first time witnessing, like, someone was killed unjustly. I've heard about it. Everyone else, you know, as an adult, we know about it. But it hit a little differently when my kids, my babies, had that direct impact. And I saw it in them daily, you know, 24-7. Um, that's when I think my voice on injustices really started to formulate. And that's when my curriculum really changed in, okay, so how can you do better? How can we start analyzing situations in a little deeper way? Um, so that you could be a change agent for yourself and others. Um, and so that's when I started formulating, even when I'm going to bring up my book, those paths, those, those concepts ran deeply throughout my curriculum uh, so that kids could start taking ownership or of their actions and being given tools on how they can change. Um, for their personal, social, and eventually professional academic, you know, lives as well. So no, I wasn't always that person who was like, that's wrong. That's racist. Um, you know, I would more like that's unjust maybe, you know, but it was never to the point um, of where I am now. Um, but it's for the past four or five years when I had the youth um, organization, creative community. That was the whole basis was building up youth so that they could be change agents um, and being very vocal in the fact that, no, they, they can do something. Um, and, and I always taught my children, 
look, even if you're the only person, one person standing up and everyone is against you, you do what's right. You don't do it for the accolades. You do what's right. No one else may agree with you. And the person who you're defending might go against you. But if you think it's right, and because something was unjust, you stand up, you stand up for it. Um, so that's just been me. That's been my father too and my mom. So definitely influenced. So you did mention your book, new book, which yes, I'm so excited. Which it just released or yes, yes. So just released. Um, you know, you could do the pre-orders, but I got my uh the first, you know, you get your first 50 copies in. And I was just like, let me keep it humble. I'm going to do 50 copies and see what, what happens oh, after that's your that. proofs. That's what's up. <laughs> exactly. Like I got, got that part. Um, and it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble now for pre-sale. But yeah, that, that book was a journey. I've been writing it forever and just recreating it and redefining it. And it's not necessarily only for educators, but it's, it's for all people who are looking to, and it ties into my beyond free, right? The beyond free came about was people just going beyond even the concept and the idea of what free is, right? Because you have that freedom or that free state, but then you get stuck in that state still. But I want people to think beyond the concept, like just to be. Um, and that's why that whole thing of beyond free came about is being able to bring in people to have brave conversations. Um, about breaking down systems of oppression and how we're going to do that. Because we're going to have conversations, but then we're going to have some actionable steps to do that. And not actionable where we're, you know, always going to the hill or making policy changes, but personal action steps as well. Because you could go out there and breaking down and breaking down, but you yourself aren't quite um what is it, broken down to be built up again, right? You're not, you're not unlearning all those pieces. Yeah. Because as we know with the civil rights movement, right? It was great. It was wonderful. We got the right to vote. However, women, black women were put to the back burner, right? The LGBTQ community was put to the back burner for the sake mm -hmm. of what it looks like because people were so concerned about perceptions, right? What it could, but we hurt groups of people. We, we, we oppressed groups of people for the sake of the whole people. So that's a whole nother thing about in the book too, is what is your journey? What are you doing and fighting for? Is it true just to, you know, a certain group or is it true to everyone? Um, and so when we're on this liberation, cause you know, as we know with the Black Lives Matter and when we have all these pieces and you speak on it too with LGBTQ people, like we can't be talking about black lives but we're leaving out LGBTQ community, you know, that's just not because of our homophobic ways and, and ideas of Christianity and what that is, um, that westernized view. It's just, you know, that's a whole nother thing. Um, but that's, yeah. that, <laughs> but that's just my thing. It's like, you have to dig deep into yourself. You have to dig deep into those traditions that you were raised to think were okay all the wordings, all the phrases, all these things that you thought were okay and start being okay with saying, no, you know, that's offensive um, and put it out there and putting an end. So with the book, it's a, it's a journal, um, but it's a journal with my stories in it. Um, it's guiding you through these four paths 
and you know you could go through however you want to go through it but it, it provides activities because you know i'm an educator too i have to have the actionable thing you know where you're writing and you're doing things um i have meditations that my sister my my good friend wrote for me um there are meditations in there because a part of being and being a part of this process of liberating for yourself and others is making sure that you have contemplative practices for yourself because you could absorb all this hate and oppression and it gets yes. so weighing, you know, it weighs you down. You know it um, because we, we talk about this. We see, you know, we're interacting and it's just exhausting. But in the book, I ask that you please set aside times for meditation, things that you could do for self-love, um, things of practicing with, because once you're starting to um, unlearn some things, it's painful. It's painful because you're going to start to see things in people who you love dearly that that it's harmful. Um, and so you have to put things in place, even getting a counselor, accountability partners, people who are on this journey together. Um, and if you don't have that, then you find small things that you do on your own um, to restore yourself. So yeah, that's that's the book. That's the book to you know to just get people on the path of liberating themselves and then steps to how they could to put it in action. Like now you've done all this work, what can you do um, for society on a whole? Because I don't believe in just your personal liberation because that's not really liberated when you're not liberating and helping others. In my opinion, you know, that's just my thing where if I'm not uplifting you, then, you know, this is a problem. You know, I, I have to share out, but I also have to make sure I'm liberating myself first. Um, from from learned yeah. um, behaviors, toxic behaviors. So as you're describing, the name, the name of the book is My Freedom Journey, y'all. In yes. case we didn't give y'all the title, yes. My Freedom Journey. Don't worry, I'm going to help you plug this book now. Yes, thank so you. People you know, going like... buy this book. I'm going to help you out. But I know that I know that you did your, your doctoral work in Columbia <laughs> and as you're talking about my freedom journey and you're describing it, it sounds very familiar. It sounds like another Columbia professor that we both know about in Dr. Yolanda Celia Ruiz when we talk about the archaeology of the self. It yeah. sounds very archaeology of the self-ish, right? Yes, yes. That's right. The deep diving, the excavations. You have to. Dig in the stories. Yes, you have to. Like, and and I see it. Right? And that was the whole, my whole dissertation was family stories. Like I had to dive deep into myself. I had to like, why am I like this? You know, um, my kids, you know, I'm so impatient. I, my, my daughter had to school me on some things when she was like three or four years old. You know, I had to figure out like, why am I like this? What's going on where I feel always tense? And so I dive deep into my father's stories um, and how that connected with me um, and how I behaved and interacted and my passions. So yes, absolutely. Um, it is something that we all have to take on and it sounds just so simple. Um, but over the past four or five years, I had to do some healing. I had to do some serious healing because I'm, you know, I'm just newly divorced um, and so having over almost 20 years of being in a marriage and it's nothing to indictment on him or anything, but it was 
how I did not heal properly for myself. And I had an image of what it was to be like to be a, a wife or what it was to be like a mother. So I put that out there to say that you have to start working on yourself um, before embarking or even engaging. Oh, you can embark and engage with people, but I think it's an awareness of self that you're not perfect, that there's some unlearning that you have to do um, in order for you to fully engage the way you're supposed to, because this has taken years for me and I'm still working because what is 400 years of unlearning that we have to do, right? That's ingrained. Oh, it's yeah. in our DNA. So yes. we have to right, really have to push for that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a part of my journey. That's a part of what we have to do, the work that we have to do. I know for me personally, therapy played a huge role and still plays a huge role in that. Um, I started going to therapy while I was in Ethiopia because yeah. I was dealing with just issues with transition. Yes. Um, issues yes. with finding a job as a trailing spouse, um, adjusting to a country where English is rarely spoken. Right. You right. Know, all like, those pieces. You know, all, these, all these transitions just played a role in in my growing anxiety. And it just got to a point where it was just like, all right, I need to talk to somebody because if I try to talk to my wife about it, either yeah. we start to argue or <laughs> I get upset, I get easily irritated, and then it's like right. I don't want to talk to anybody. So let me find a neutral party. Who I can talk to about these issues yeah. so I can just unleash, unpack, and just, yes. just get it out. And it's been something that has been very helpful for me because mm -hmm. not only did it help with the just how to deal with the transitioning, um, especially during COVID, because we've been back and forth between Ethiopia and the States wow. over the past two and a half years. Wow. And it's just played a huge role in everything. But it's also allowed me to just explore some of my uh, tendencies and just my behaviors mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and how I think about different things because it stems back to my upbringing. It stems back to just my relationship with my father, which is very much estranged, right? And still is, but I'm trying to get to a point where I could actually call him on the phone and be like, hey, what's going on? But- I'm just not there yet, but yeah. I'm hoping that in the near future, I will be um, yeah. just seeing how my mom was able to raise all of us and she was barely wow. making 30000 a year working, wow. working at a bank for three decades. Wow. You, you know, and the, before getting laid off, but she found a way to get all three of her siblings through all three of her children through college. Wow. I don't know how she did it. Yeah, I don't know how um, that. I, uh, but she she found a way. But but wow. all these things that I'm mentioning, I was able to unpack that with therapy. Mm -hmm. And now with my freedom journey with this book, people have an opportunity to do that unpacking. Yes. But also supplement it with some other things that are going to yes. get them to a place where they can get that radical self-love and, yes, and really calming. just be in position mentally and yes. physically to do the work. Yes. Yeah. 
I love how you plug that. You did awesome. You did. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Because we have to have that. We have to have that extra that added on. Yeah. And I ask you that in the book is to make sure you you start building up your tribe, your people. And if you don't do something else, like you need to have something there for you to make sure that you are loving on yourself because that's something for myself too. I have to, you know, it's something kind of like, okay, Melanie, you know, love on yourself, you know, cause I'm so used to being a mother um, that I, I've, I've had to kind of separate, like, no, I need to love myself more so that I'm able to be the, the mom that I need to be, you know, the sister, the daughter that I need to be. Um, and so coming into myself of who I am and finding myself again was very important. Um, and I, and, and in this book, writing the book alone released a lot. I had to delete a whole lot, <laughs> put a whole lot, you know, and just revamp, but it was, it was extremely um, healing and liberating to even get to that point to even write it and then release it, you know? So a little scared and a little excited all at the same time, you know, just to to share a little bit of myself and my thoughts and ideas um, around liberation and what that means for people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think when I look back at the anxiety that I was experiencing, mm -hmm. um, I think it just came from the fact that I'd been an educator a classroom teacher yeah. for 14 years straight. Yes. I knew every August or September I'll be in a new classroom with a new group of students. I knew a curriculum I was going to teach. Yeah. I knew yeah. that I'll be doing it from August, September, all the way through to June. And I right. did that for 14 consecutive years. And then all of a wow. sudden, you're uprooted from that job. You're in a new country oh, yeah. where, as you mentioned earlier, you're a diplomat. Right. You have a whole staff of people. You have a housekeeper. You have a nanny. You have a driver. You, you have a gardener. I wasn't even going to mention that. Everybody doing, you have right. everybody doing the, the chores that you used to do. Right. When you were here in the States. Now, now it's like, I have nothing to do. And, <laughs> and honestly, the anxiety that I was growing from not being in the classroom, the separation anxiety that yeah. I was experiencing. Wow. That's what propelled me to start this podcast. That's wow. why this podcast started. Because wow. I needed to, to find a way to yes. connect yes. with educators if I couldn't be in a classroom teaching children, I needed to talk to educators. And quite frankly, it kind of spilled into social job, media man. as well because before that, I wasn't really active on, on Instagram like that, nor yeah. my other social media platforms. Yeah. It wasn't until um, I got to Ethiopia where I really started to ramp up on that activity because I had yeah. time. I had time to talk to people. I had time yeah. to... Yes. to do lives. I had time to tweet and just empty out my hey. thoughts because mm -hmm. I didn't really have other people to talk to um, abroad. I'm grateful because yeah. you, you come with it, man. Your articles and all of the things and all you're like, wow, how does he come up with all this stuff? I'm just in awe. So yeah, you're doing it. Yeah. And, and honestly, more, and it's allowed me 
the time away from the classroom to to do the unlearning. Yes. And to relearn some things and to really be uh you know retrospective about my own instructional practice over the years and how yeah. I could have done better in certain areas, you know, yeah. like because when you're on the go for 14 consecutive years, yeah, like okay, you teach one class on to the next. Yeah. You go through summer, right. you- your curriculum mapping, you're developing a scope of sequence. Right. Um you're you're scouting your your students, you're you're getting a sense of who they are. You go through that cycle for those years, and then all of a sudden, you don't have to do that anymore. And it's like, what do you do now? But now now my point is coming back. That was my role. Right. That's how I identified myself as just this person. So once that role was taken away from me, I had to figure out who I was now. Wow. I had to figure out who I was as a husband, as a father. Yeah. All these other roles that for years were just secondary. Right. And now I have to elevate them and, and really make those a priority because, you know, when you're teaching, you're spending all these hours and, you know, draining, like just giving all your energy to others who are not even your blood. Right. Right. Not even. And yeah. So I, I'm wondering for you. Yeah. Because you were mentioning, because you had mentioned, you know, divorce. And I know for, I have other friends who have gone through divorce. And yeah. I know for some of them, it was because they lost themselves in the mm. marriage. Yeah. And then once they yeah. finally got out of the marriage, it was like, okay, now I have the headspace to process certain things. I had the headspace to really think about how I want to orient myself and show up in the world. So I'm wondering if you had that awakening after all those years of just being in the role of, you know, being a wife. Yeah. um, Being a caregiver, being a mother. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely do think it had that there and I, I don't want to put in this frame of liberation um, of like from marriage and all of that. I think right. I wasn't, I got, we got married young, um, 23, I want to say. So, you know, fairly young um, where I feel like I hadn't even fully, we hadn't fully developed, right? We really didn't understand mm-hmm. what it meant to be in a marriage in itself, you know? Um, and just over the years, you know, um, me losing myself, um, me conforming to a role, even though, you know, he never was like, oh, you need to do this. You need to cook. And I, I, cause I don't, I don't, I'm, I like to, I don't really love to cook, but, you know, being a mother um, and that whole role of what a black mother looks like, you know, what a mother looks like, period. I think I automatically try to fill that role. Um, and there were some other issues within our marriage that came up later. Um, but that really just kind of like, okay, this, this is not happening. This, we can't move forward anymore um, in this space, but definitely there was liberation um, in discovering myself um, and relearning like, oh my God, I do like doing that, you know, I, I, and being free 
to be myself, um, even though I feel like that was put on myself to 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 fit a certain type. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I, it did give me that space. It did give me that freedom to just really think. Um, and then also moving out of the classroom. Also, because we were talking about classroom being and having that regiment, right? But also being a space of a little bit more of leadership and administration. I was able to not have to have the burden of classroom, you know, students and all of that in order to start liberating and start mapping out ways in which teachers could start um, pushing for liberation and freedom. So it was like a twofold thing, you know, it was liberation and understanding and unpacking of myself after divorce or, you know, during our separation. And then as well as my role within the school and education environment. So there, there, were, there were quite a few parts um, on my journey of, of liberation and freedom, and which I'm still on that journey. I'm still on that path. Um, and I still call on my people in my village to help me out when I'm like, what in the whole world is going on, you know, um, which is always needed, is always needed. That's a good question. That is a good question. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm um, staying on radical uh, self love. Yes. Um, I know this is something that uh, Sonia Renee Taylor talks about. Um, and for those who don't know Sonia Renee Taylor, uh, y'all yeah, need to check her out. So she has a book called "My Sonia. Body Is Not an Apology." Hmm. So she does a lot of talk around disability justice and body positivity. Body mm, okay. Um, yeah, very incredible mind. Incredible mind. Um, you have to check out her her TED Absolutely. talk, and I'll and I'll sh I'll share that link with you. Please, please. Uh, but she it. talks a lot about calling on. Yeah. Um, calling on folks to do the work right mm -hmm. whereas with uh loretta ross loretta ross talks about calling in so we hear mm. about calling in people yes. trying to educate them about the harm that they're imposing on others yeah yeah but sonia renee taylor talks about the importance of calling on so when you call on people you're putting the onus on them to oh. do the work as opposed wow. to you doing the work for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that requires radical love because if you really love somebody radically. Yeah, you wouldn't. Yeah, you, yeah. Go ahead. Like you're looking into in their best interest. Yeah. Right? Right. And sometimes that radical love could be tough love. So mm -hmm. what role does that play in helping educators develop culturally responsive, anti-bias, anti-racist practices, but also building their capacity in racial literacy. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. as you mentioned, it wasn't until you went through your journey that you started to really yeah. connect the dots about yeah. your identity and yeah. just how you view the world through that lens. So if you could talk to us about that. Yeah, radical self-love is so... When we, and we speak of radical self-love, I think it's a, a major shift, right? It's a change that is so intentional um, and it can be visually seen, visibly seen by all people.
because it's a shift in how you behave and how you move and your behaviors and ideologies. Um, and that love is where you are living your authentic self um, and you are able to recognize certain boundaries that you need to set up. You are recognizing that there are certain triggers in your life that you don't want to have anymore. Um, and even in my book, I put that down. That's one of those trigger checks. Like what triggers you? What are your moods that changes, right? Making sure that you are doing that um, as a routine, because once you set up those boundaries of what you can and cannot do, that's love. That's loving yourself. Not doing it because other people say you should do it. It's tradition. Um, it's all those things. But you setting up those things and saying, no, this is what I cannot do. This is something that makes me feel uncomfortable. And making sure that you are pushing on, just like what uh, Kwame was saying, right? You're not being the one who's always teaching people about what's wrong and, and, and things that they need to unlearn but you're putting it on them to figure it out um, because there are certain triggers that can occur when you're rehashing these stories that are disturbing or that are traumatic. So having that radical self-love of yourself and understanding those pieces is important because as you're stepping into the work of anti-racist work, you have to be able to um, identify those triggers put contemplative practices in place and how to deal with those. Because being an anti-racist worker, you're going to be addressing issues that may trigger you. So making sure that you have some practices in place that are consistently um, uh, elevating yourself, providing healing for yourself, so that you are also able to consistently do the work of anti-racist work, building curriculum around culturally relevant curriculum. Because once you know about yourself and who you are, you could easily start pouring into others as well um, in recognizing all the different um, curriculum pieces that are attached to culturally relevant curriculum. Um, and then eventually even loving people the way you're truly supposed to love them. Um, to call them out. What I love is like to call people out because you, you know, you have compassion, right? And then there's self-compassion too. Yes. So you could call people out, you know, to, to really draw them in. And it's not to draw them in to teach them about things, but it's to call them out to say, no, you need to do the work um, and, and be ready for that, especially when you are anti-racist um, educator. Uh, there's love in it too, even though for those people who have come across who are a little you know, conflicting and want to just believe that there's, you know, we only have to, you know, fight everything with real love and I don't see color and it's just like, okay, no, we, we, there's real work that has to be done. You know, um, I could, yeah. you know, love you, but there's real work that needs to be done when we're talking about radical self-love and radical love. Yes, there is so much to do, so much so to much do to still. Do. So, so much, much to, do. to do, so much to talk about, um, but it's a journey and um, we're here to just keep on encouraging people um, to make that change because that's what I do this work for. It's for future generations. Um, it, it's just, it's important. It's important I mean, for our future. 
it, it has to be that way because who knows when we're going to see true liberation oh my gosh in our lifetime yeah I, who knows I, I, if we're yeah. going to be realistic yeah no i as we so you know we gotta set just, our babies up no right we got to set them up as we have there's the Kyle Rittenhouse you know verdict and that ridiculousness you know it's just it's just yeah we got to set them up we got to give them the tools um needed for them to be liberated. I already see it in my kids, you know, my daughter. Um, I think that that generation, the Gen Zers, they are, you know, they are ready. They're fierce. Um, but, you know, we have to give them the right tools. Um, or actually, they give us the right tools too. <laughs> we learn from them, right, as well on what we need to do. Because last year too, millennials, you all, and the, mar you know, all the protests, the racial awakening that we you know, that a lot of white people had, um, it was, it, we're ready. They're, they're ready. They're ready for that liberation. And that's what we're here for, just to, to just be a part of that journey. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we are at the hour. So I know, we are. Start. Yeah. We are. But see, this is what happens when we get into good conversation. Time just be flying. Could keep on going. I could keep on going. This is great. Yes. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed this. All right. So we're going to wrap things up with the lightning round. So we do oh, have Lord, some bonus me... questions, some quick hitters, just so that people can ah! get to know you. Sure, outside sure. Of this radical space <laughs> yes, that yes. we're in. Uh, so since we're talking about radical self-love, Give me an activity that you do to exercise radical self-love, your go-to. Oh, yes. Hiking, nature. I, I love being in nature. Yeah. Anything outside, I, I enjoy. I do enjoy. All right. That's what's <laughs> up. Um, What's the highest mountain or park where you, you know, where you had to do a hike? Oh, Lord. I do love now, I, I haven't traveled as high, golly, that's Kennesaw State Mountain Park, like here in Georgia, that, because okay. I like camping and things like that. So yeah, I am that person who likes camping. Now, there's levels of camping, but you know, there's, yeah, I do like camping, so. <laughs> uh, you, you hardcore, so are you the type that actually, I'm not you hardcore. put the tent together? You you're out in the woods. You you in a tent. I am in the woods. Like you in a luxury. You in one of those. No, luxury no, I camps am in the woods. Where... I am a tent. Right, I do have a tent, and <laughs> but I I don't do it like it's just one family that is camping. Right, we have to have like a community. I don't I don't believe in like one black person family in the hood. Like I would not go out hiking. Like bye, I'm going for hiking by my. No, I'm not. I'm not that black person. I'm not. I'm not. I yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> Not all right. that. Yes, but I do all love right. nature. All right, to each his own. I, <laughs> to, to each his, his own. own. I, I know for me, I'm a I'm a luxury camp person. You know, I, I can't really do the are the you tent, sleeping there overnight. I get irritated by the bugs. Do you really? That, that all that spray will be will run out real quick. <laughs> if it's just me, that all spray is gonna be. Gone. And kill kill yourself with that offspring. Jeez, no, you Lord, people are mad at me. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, right. All right. 
Um, <laughs> other than your book, is yeah. there another book that you're currently reading or plan to read in the foreseeable future? So I have a, a book that I read was my, I, I read and reread it, is My Grandmother's Hands. Um, and I forgot his last name, Mensa, and I have it right over there. Um, but his last name is, I believe it's Mensa. Have you heard of it? My Grandmother's Hands? It's a beautiful- Oh, um, uh, Resma. Resma, thank you. Oh my gosh, Resma, oh, thank yeah. you. I love that book. Oh my gosh. But then on the other end, I'm reading Children of Blood and Bones. Um, have you read that? By, um, what's yeah, her name? Tony. She's like Nigerian. Yes, I think um, so. And it's a fictional book. Yeah, you're good at this. I have not I have not read the book, but I, I definitely know of the book. That's what I'm reading. Yeah. Yeah. But my wife did read my grand... Uh, mother's hand, yes. and she actually attended the actual uh, training. Wow! With with Resma. Wow! She actually did that. Oh man! Yeah, that's he's like one of my yeah. persons. Like, oh my god, I would love to meet you. That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that book is yeah. That's deep. It's a deep book. Yeah, she she enjoyed it as well. Uh, definitely a good book. Yes. All right. Um, favorite movie of all time? What I, do you got? I don't have one. I do not okay. have a favorite. No, I love all types. Like, okay, I'm, I don't even have a favorite color. It's like, whatever's my mood, that's the, like, it's, I don't have a movie of all time. I have some movies, but I don't have one movie. All right. Okay. Let me remix that then. What is a movie that you would watch if... You'd really need a good laugh. Oh, a good laugh. Oh, shoot. A good laugh? That's very specific. Um, what movie would I watch if I wanted a good laugh? What? Friday. Friday. Yeah. I, Can't go I, wrong with that. Yeah, that, that's like classic. That's classic. Like, yeah, I, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's one. All right, cool. All right. But I'm more of like an action person, like zombies. Like I love I Am Legend. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I'm that person too. <laughs> okay. Yeah, shout out to Will Smith. Um, we actually, <laughs> my wife and I started actually listening to his book. Oh, I haven't listened to it. Okay, okay. Nice, I mean, is it good? I mean, he's narrating it. And if you know Will Smith, he yeah. he's a pretty good storyteller. Like he's yeah. very animated and. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, he's an actor, so yeah, absolutely. You can only, you can only imagine how he narrates the story. It's it's pretty yeah. good so far. Okay, but, good. Okay, yeah, him good. narrating it. Good. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it wouldn't work if it was anybody else. I no, say that <laughs> you're like, mm, that's much. That's well, that's a it lot with scripts too, right? Like with scripts, you're like, that would have been an awful movie if it wasn't for, you know, the people, the actors. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, you're at dinner and you can invite three influential figures, dead or alive. Who will they be? Yes. So Audrey Lord, I would love her um and her and her wisdom. Brian Stevenson, um, he's a social justice. I don't know if yes, just mercy, you know. I that's like, oh my God, 
I love the book. The book is amazing. And have you visited the Legacy Museum or Lynching Memorial here in Alabama? Alabama? No. Yes. Ooh, man, that's when you all come down to Georgia or go into Alabama. Yeah, that'll be a whole thing. And the last person would be my granny, Kate. That's my dad's mother. Um, I would love to. She died when she was young, when I was young, excuse me. So I never really got to know her, know her just from my father. And I would love to hear her stories. I would, yeah, just love to sit down and just talk to her about her journey and um, being a single mother in Belize and, you know, having children and all of those things and not being able to do what she wanted to do. So, yeah, that would be those. That would be the three people. All right. Three words to describe your 2021. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so challenging. Um, inspiring and freeing. Mm. Yeah. And now three words to describe your 2022. Okay. So intentionality, love and connection. Boom. And there you have it y'all. So yeah. Dr. Melanie Dukes, thank <laughs> yes. you. Thank you, oh, thank, thank you for you. coming on. Thank you for having me. This was fun. I really appreciate it. And you said it. You're like, just, you know, we're just going to come and hang out and be chill. That was great. I appreciate yeah, you. Thank nothing, you so much. Nothing serious. Nothing yeah. serious. Just, just chatting <laughs> about education and life. It's, it's <sighs> as simple as that. You know how it is. Absolutely. I do know. I do know. Thank you so much again for having me. I'm so humbled and excited um, to be on your show. And then um, before you sign off, if you could let folks know how they can connect with you on social media, but also purchase My Freedom Journey, the new book that is now out <laughs> yes. on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, yes. and all the yes. other book retailers out there. Yes, let them know. It is. Okay, so you could go on my website as well, which is www.beyondfreellc.com. Um, to purchase a book, or you could go on, um, I have my IG, which is Mad Dukes, or they say Ma Dukes, M-A-D-D-U-K-E-S is my IG. Uh, and the book is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and you could just research on there, My Freedom Journey, Be Free, Be Brave, and Be Radical. Thank you. All right, there I you have it, y'all. Make Thank sure y'all so purchase that book. No, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yes, blessed to have you on here. So um, if we don't connect again before this new year, um, I wish you a good rest of 2021. Hope you have a wonderful time with family. And congratulations again on the release of your book as someone that is uh, that has written books. I know you write all the time. I like know, you're just a writer. I know how grueling the process is. It, it's grueling. So I I commend anybody that goes through that process and oh, finds the finish line. Thank you so much, Kwame. I appreciate you. I appreciate all the encouragement and the support. Yes, for sure. So until next time. Yes. All right. You have a good next night. Time. Thank you. You too. All Thank right. You. 
All right, people. So we're about to conclude another wonderful episode of our Dance Off Educators Live. We still have one or two more episodes before we close 2021. But if we don't get to see each other before then, as I always tell you all, I'm wishing you all a good morning, a good afternoon, and a good night wherever you are in the world. And we are going to do this again another time. Peace out, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Identity Talk for Educators Live podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram with the handle at Identity Talk for Educators Live. And that's a numeral four in the middle. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other streaming platforms. We're always striving to provide you with quality content. So if you love what you heard tonight, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And to check out the video episodes of the podcast, you can visit our website at www.identitytalkforeducators.com. Thank you and have a great day.